Hello everyone, I'm Stefan Abrams, the host of the Jackson Hole Connection. This is the 32nd episode where I'm interviewing people with a connection to Jackson Hole and diving into their widely interesting stories. Each episode gives me so much insight into the lives of everyday people who have so much to share with the world. My guest today is the amazing rock star Bill Watkins, founder and CEO of the Lion's Pride, an accelerator group teaching high-performing leaders how to 10x their business and still be home in time for dinner. And in all transparency, I have been a member of the Lion's Pride for two years. Bill has accomplished so much in his life as a father, husband, and a business leader. He sold a portfolio of 90 manufacturing companies, which he built from the ground up. He's a graduate of West Point, served as an engineer officer in the Army, was on the Army cycling team, and worked his way onto the Olympic cycling training team. Please enjoy this interview with Bill, and I hope you're as energized as I am each time I have the great honor to speak with Bill. Before we begin, I have a quick word from one of our sponsors. The Liquor Store of Jackson Hole, locally owned and operated in Jackson Hole, Wyoming since 1985. Need help picking out wine for a date? No problem. The experienced team of TLS can help you and make you look like a master of wine, and you take the credit. Want to know how to concoct the perfect scotch on the rocks? The TLS team can help, and your taste buds will love you for it. Stop in and visit the friendly, awesome staff of the liquor store. Let us entertain you. Albertsons is next to us. The Liquor Store of Jackson Hole, located at 115 Buffalo Way, Jackson, Wyoming. Or you can visit us at tlsofjh.com. Bill, I so appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule today and joining me here on the Jackson Hole Connection. Great to see you today. Thank you, Stefan. You know, I've, I've seen you um, put this wonderful tool together, your podcast, uh, bringing vibrancy to Jackson Hole and our Teton region. I've really admired uh, your determination and your skill in putting this wonderful uh, thing together. It's awesome. So thank you for the privilege of being your guest today. You're welcome. And thank you for all the kind words. And I should have worn my big boots today to walk. (laughs) You know what? Yeah, those hip waders. (laughs) (laughs) So share with the listeners how you first connected with Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and how you Mm -hmm. landed here now. Yep. Uh, It was in two phases. Uh, One was in childhood, early childhood um, connection when um, I don't remember exactly when it was, but my parents used to like to camp a lot and they loved the national parks. My father was uh, in the military. I was an army brat. And so um, as he was stationed around the country, we would often, the moving van would show up and take all our stuff. And my mom and my dad would pack us in a little station wagon. And then we would camp our way across the country uh, or to our next destination. In one trip, we were, I don't remember how old I was, maybe 10 or 11. We were heading to San Francisco to leave for my father's duty assignment in Hawaii. And we came across the northern route and uh, we were in the Dakotas and then we dropped down into Wyoming and we camped at, I think it was Grand Teton National Park and, or maybe it was Yellowstone. I don't remember, but anyway, it was memorable. The second phase was in around 2008 or nine. I was getting my companies ready for sale. Donna and I lived in Atlanta and my CPA said, you're going to have quite a big tax bill. 
coming because those companies were very successful and uh, they had a high valuation. And he said, I can't save you anything on the capital gains federal tax, but I can save you state tax. And were you to choose to relocate to one of these, I don't know, seven no state income tax states and uh, become a resident, he said, that'd save you a bunch of tax. Well, Don and I uh, were going to sell the businesses, sell the houses. My kids were all grown and gone. So there really was no reason to stay back in Atlanta. So we were open to the idea. We traveled around to look at all the states. We'd already lived in Florida, uh, Tennessee. Uh, We visited Texas, Alaska. And then we ended up in Wyoming. We loved it. Weren't sure uh, whether we would connect with the community or the community would connect with us. So we uh, got an apartment out by the high school, uh, Blair Place. I think it's called Blair Place. I don't remember, but we got a little studio and then we got a one bedroom, then we got a two bedroom and then we bought a small house and we put our roots there, became residents. And then when I did sell the businesses in 2012, we relocated permanently in 2013. So a long rambling story, but I think it, uh, to me, uh, other than hearing me ramble, I think it speaks to the vibrancy uh, that that community placed inside me back when I was a young, very impressionable boy. You know, we were in the military, we traveled to hundreds of places uh, with my family, but it was Jackson that called to me in that second phase when uh, Vince was talking to me about which state to move to. Both Don and I, eyes lit up when we thought, hey, wow, we could move to Jackson what we visited as kids. Well, I'm glad that you found Jackson Hole because it's been a a great honor having you here in this community. Thanks. And everything that you do for our community, which we'll get into that in in just Mm. a minute. Mm. Um, before we get into that, I want to share, mm-hmm. have you share with everybody some of your fascinating history. Ah. <laughs> well, <laughs> thanks. It's all, it's all relative, right? I don't know yeah. if it's fascinating, but um, I think it is. I think it is. You are oh, sweet. You have a great story. So your dad was in the service, and you were in the. Service. Was I was? And you, what branch of service were you in? Yeah, my dad and I both went to West Point. My dad was the um, second person in his long family to ever go to college. And my dad had to go to a military academy because his father had uh, died when he was young and he just didn't have the money to go to college. But my father knew that going to college and serving in the military was a great pathway for him out of where where he was uh, and his mom, my grandmother was at that time. Fast forward many years later, uh, I decided to also go to West Point. So we were both in the Army. Uh, My father was an artillery officer, and uh, he served for 33 years, I think. And then um, I served as an engineer officer for uh, eight years active duty and eight years uh, in the reserves. Thank you for serving. Thank you. I was with the Army ski team, and uh, I'm a supporter of the army cycling team both our collegiate uh, programs at west point and anytime i'm among any of any uh, students uh, cadets they call them any of the west point students or anybody on those teams the army ski team was just out in jackson for the collegiate nationals uh, two weeks ago i tell them that uh, my service in the military 
and my attendance at West Point were absolutely pivotal experiences that have molded me into uh, everything that I am today. So I'm, I'm deeply grateful uh, for those opportunities. I cannot connect with that because I never mm. served. Mm-hmm. Um, but tell me how attending West Point and then serving mm. was so pivotal in your life. Well, I think first I had gone to college out of high school and I had then changed my mind. I had turned down West Point uh, out of high school to go to college. I thought that would be more advantageous to me. And I was also very anti-be like my dad and anti-military because I'd grown up in the military. And then while I was there, I realized that for me, I think I could get the best education possible at a military academy. And that proved to be true. There's very much about military academies and military service aren't for everybody, which is totally fine. It's just for me, it was. And so West Point has very small classes. It has an incredible academic budget. It um, just has a very unique educational program that ranks it, I think, in the top three in the country, something like that, depending on who you ask. And so I got everything that I wanted there. I believed education was going to be the platform on which I built my soon-to-come career, which I had no idea what I was going to do. But that proved to be true. Number two, I have made friends. So, you know, I went in there when I was 20 years old. I had gone to college and was a young kid. I'm now 65. And I have been friends with a small group of people that I met at West Point for 45 years. We meet every year at least once face-to-face, and we talk to each other, if not weekly, monthly. These are the guys that will attend my funeral until you know, whoever's listening, stories about me that nobody knows. And they're the guys that I literally can call at 2.30 in the morning and ask for anything, and they will uh, help me out. So I think lifelong, very few of us have lifelong friendships like that. And West Point instilled that. I wouldn't say I'm a, I'm a friend builder by nature. I'm a very independently, uh, my, my dad brought me up to be independent, but I learned uh, meaningful brotherhood friendships uh, through West Point. I think the third thing I got, and, and then I'll wrap this up, Stefan, is I got experiences that I could never have gotten anywhere else. I was a young, when I graduated, 23-year-old, and the Army put me in charge of millions of dollars of engineering projects and, and soldiers and equipment, and I never would have had that. They sent me around the world to places that I never would have gone to. They had me drink from the leadership fire hydrant. You know, so I became a a much better leader than I would ever have become anywhere else. And I think lastly, you know, West Point's uh, hallowed three words are duty on our country, which I heard from my father ever since I was a little boy. But I think it instilled in me a desire to not just serve my country through the military, but to serve my country, to believe as a patriot in in the beauty of, of America and to do my little teeny tiny minuscule part to contribute to our greatness. And I've never let that go, whether I was in the military or whether I was in civilian business or whether I ran my own companies and employed people. I really believe strongly in doing my duty to be my best and to give the world my best, to be authentic and and live by a code of honor that I learned at West Point. And then to always remember what a great country we live in and whatever we're doing to honor that. Um, through, you know, our work, our, our communities, and, 
things like that. So I think those are the three things. Great explanation and mm. synopsis of why that was so important. And mm-hmm. one thing that I took away from what you said was not all men, and I would say not a lot of people have really close friends that they could call mm. UAM and ask for, right. ask for anything or just needing to yeah. talk. Yep. Why do you think people don't develop friendships like that? Well, like, I, I think women are, um, you know, in my business, you know, I, I work with uh, business, small business owners. That, that's what I do. And uh, for the longest time, I worked with men. And just in the last couple of years, I've, uh, for whatever reason, uh, women have, you know, joined our, our program. Uh, so I get to observe them in, in these roles. Uh, and of course, I am a guy. And of course, I am married to a woman. So I see it through those lenses. Women naturally uh, build friendships better than men. I, I think it's down in their DNA, not, not only cultural, but I think it's just women are different beings uh, than we men are. One of the things that we men are, uh, in my belief, and I know this from personal experience, I think you know we're the dragon slayers and we're very much alone. And so even when we're in a group, uh, I think men at, a, at the deepest, most unconscious levels, most of us are very independent and we take great pride in doing things on our own and accomplishing things. It's not that we don't want to be part of a team. It's just that there's something about us that, that needs to show strength and, and resilience and we face things alone oftentimes. I think there's also an aversion in a man to ask for help. We see it as a weakness. I tell you, I can say this from so much personal experience. You know, my father uh, lost his dad when he was 16, and that was a very hard time for him and his family. And one thing my father unconsciously and consciously learned through that experience is to be independent, that when you depend on others, like he depended on his dad, uh, they can leave you and they can leave you very distraught, which is what happened to my grandmother and my father. So he brought us up to be very independent and very strong. I don't remember if it was conscious or unconscious, but I think, you know, seeking help, asking questions, you know, there's that laugh, men never ask for directions, right? And we're driving the women in the cockpit crazy. Uh, But my dad was like that and I grew up like that. So here's what I want to say. Uh, I think it's a great question. I think it's just at the core of us. And what I realized through my friendships with my good friends and uh, at West Point and then friendships I've built since then is I'm actually stronger when I seek help. I, I, I get it there faster, better, smarter, easier than when I march off on my own. I make fewer mistakes and, and I get support when I, when I need it stuff on. And I think all of that builds a, a much better life. I think it's uh, just a better way to live. But hey, I'm 65. I did not think this way when I was 25. I can tell you that. You have a different way of thinking now that you're 65 compared to 25? I'm- Definitely, bro. <laughs> at, at, at one time, I, I was a Superman who walked on water and had no kryptonite. And, uh, and there was no, uh, the world was my infinite oyster. At 65, I, I definitely know I'm not Superman. There's tons of kryptonite out there and the world is not infinite. And uh, it actually, uh, that, that finality and those, it, that embrace of that philosophy actually enriches my life uh, incredibly. And I don't want to be 25 
in any form or fashion. <laughs> so uh, I don't. I don't even look back on my 25 year old physical self. I don't. I don't need to be that. It's really great to see how I've. I don't know if I want to say evolved, but just changed. I I would go with that. Um, mm. Go with either of those. But going yeah. back to, to friendships, I I have some friends that I've known mm-hmm. since I've been 10 years old. Mm-hmm. That's my best friend. He was in my wedding. I was in his wedding. Uh, he was my college roommate. His brother is like a brother to me because his brother and my brother were college roommates and have known each other just as long. And those two guys, Richie and Michael, are so important in my life. And, and I have a few other, some other friends, a handful yep. of friends that I could call at two o'clock in the morning. And I am so blessed and yep. comfortable in my life to say that I can call those guys and call those guys my best friends. I can call them anytime. And, and it means the world that I can lean on them for advice and they can do the same for me. Yeah. It's not only advice, it's, it's support. It's when, when the shit hits the fan and I've definitely had those times, you know, as, as powerful and capable you are life, life deals stuff to you that, that maybe you didn't deserve or you, you, or maybe you did, it doesn't really matter, but just to have people there who believe in you, who are committed to you, not necessarily trying to fix your issues or whatever. There's there. They're another human being that you can talk to that is in a different place than, say, your spouse and all that. Um, it's it's so pure that this person would, you know, take my call or offer help or, yeah, it's awesome. I've had, you know, wayward children. I've been through a brutal divorce. I mean, I've had dark souls of the night. Uh, and I've shared those Meaning on the flip side, I've been with my close friends who've had the same mm-hmm. bankruptcies, divorces, cancers, uh, all that sort of stuff. I even flew down to a hospital and was there while the priest was administering last rites. This is an amazing story. The guy came back. He's still here. He's got a second chance at life. But I was there to usher him you know, to, to the other side. And I, I literally carried him home, uh, out of the car up the driveway into the house after he'd lost like 90 pounds and he recovered. Oh dude, that just changes your life. Mm-hmm. And it builds, builds a bridge of humanity. That is truly a gift um, that so many of us in our super, super busy lives, we neglect and later we regret. Not, very little of our super busy life is going to show up at our funeral, but the people that we created deep, uh, loving, caring, soul level relationships will uh, they'll show up. That's right. Well said. Thank you for mm. the summation on that. Earlier, you mentioned you were on the cycling team mm-hmm. at West Point. Mm-hmm. And you took that much further than just being a collegiate cyclist. I Tell did. <laughs> well, I was uh, a recruited athlete for skiing. And uh, I had skied in high school. Uh, I had been seen by the West Point coaches because I actually grew up uh, at West Point. My father was on the faculty there. Then I went to University of New Hampshire and skied there. And then uh, I came back to West Point. And then I had uh, a series of knee surgeries before college. Then I had one at West Point, I think, when I was a sophomore. I think I remember. But anyway, I do remember the physician saying in, I don't know, like June, 
if you want to ski next season, you can either swim your knee to health or you can bike your way to health. And I thought, well, swimming's really boring. You know, your face is in the water and you're drowning. So I said, well, I guess I'll bike. And uh, that led me to identifying that I was a really good, gifted person on a bicycle. I joined the cycling team. I dropped off the lacrosse team and began to just have success. I was a big, raw-boned, I don't know, naturally gifted guy. I'm, I'm not the Tour de France, you know, 125-pound guy. But at that time, they had some Olympic events that spoke to my talent set. And then uh, I was on the cycling team. I won the, the collegiate cycling championships, which kind of pushed me out into the limelight. And people were encouraging me to pursue amateur cycling uh, outside of the college. So when I graduated from West Point, I spent the summer before my first duty assignment competing on the national stage. And I, I won some events. I, I placed in the top three in the nationals and I got placed on the world championship team and the Olympic development team. And that started a career. Uh, the career was twofold. Uh, at that time, we were working towards the 1980 Olympics, which we eventually uh, boycotted. And because of that, uh, I, the Army, they were not happy to have one of their West Point graduate officers uh, playing around on a bicycle. Uh, so, so as soon as uh, a Hotting Carter announced, I think it was him, announced we were boycotting, uh, the Army scooted me off to Korea for a couple of tour, tours to make up for lost time, which was fine. I stayed fit. I think I kind of uh, at the time uh, saw myself exiting um, cycling, but I, I, I regretted missing my so-called shot, you know, at a, like an Olympic medal. I don't know if I was that good, but I thought I was. And so I stayed fit. And then in 1982, the Army acquiesced for one more Olympic pursuit. And I made the Olympic development team and I ran after an 84 uh, medal in what was then called the 100-kilometer team time trial. Uh, Eddie Borsevich had defected. He became well-known. He started coaching the team. And I can't remember what we won. I don't know if we won a silver in 84. We, the team won something. I, I, I was on the so-called long team. You know, they slowly narrow it down to the final four. I didn't make that team. I don't think I was good enough. Uh, the guys who really made that final team were really, really, really good. And uh, I think we got a silver maybe. And then I retired. I needed to go do my military duty, <laughs> which I did. But, so that was my stint. But you contributed to that team though. Yeah. You know, I was part of the, I was part of the program. We had about uh, 12 guys that were competing for four slots. And then at the Olympic trials, I think they nailed it down to either six or eight. And then uh, as we moved closer to the LA games, you know, uh, Eddie and Tim narrowed it down to, I think five, maybe four. And then uh, we rode and, and we sprang from in like 76 or in 72, we were just in the top 20 in that particular event and, and other events. So I was just in one little event where my physiology could perform. But I mean, we, all of a sudden we were winning gold medals. I think we won a woman's gold medal. 
We won some track gold medals, road medals. We won some track medals. We won a men's gold. And so the United States went from top 20 countries in the world in cycling. By the time Eddie got done with us in 84, we were definitely in, say, the top three. That's fantastic. I wouldn't say uh, the Army really. The people in the Army who were part of the World Class Athlete Program um, were really happy to see me in there. I was the one and only cyclist, maybe ever. I don't know if they've ever had other cyclists. But uh, the people who were needed, like Army officers for tactical duty, oh, they were so not happy that this little guy, you know, uh, took advantage of, you know, his West Point education, his career to go off and ride ride a silly little bicycle so it was a it was a yin and yang uh relationship with the military during that time but i was resolute to at least see whether i could uh get myself to world-class level which i did congratulations it's mm. an honor to call you my friend who is a huh. class cyclist uh. Well, those days are long gone. I'm certainly not even close to world class now. I don't even think my the bicycle uh, remembers my name. <laughs> so now fast forwarding to 2019, mm. you have started a new business. Mm-hmm. And, and yep. I will let the listeners know that I am a client of your business. Yay. Yeah, one of the best. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and... I can tell you what you've done for me and for my business and for my Mm. family life has been just exceptional. And I Mm. never could have imagined being where I am today and having the views and perspective that I have on life and business that I have without you helped me develop. Thanks. So, so tell us, tell the listeners what your business is and and what you're doing now. Yeah. So in uh, 2012, I, had a portfolio of manufacturing companies. We were in, I think it was four companies, three industries, 92 countries around the world. And for several years, uh, I had begun to think it was time to sell the companies, which in 2012 on December 4th, I did. And I started celebrating on December 5th or that night, actually. But December 5th, the money hit my bank account and it was just a great day. And then the question was, well, what's next? And now I had capital, I had wealth, and, you know, I, and I had a proven track record of uh, building something out of my little bonus room in my teeny tiny cul-de-sac home, uh, uh, you know, bonus room above the garage and a little plywood concrete block desk and two little babies and a mortgage. Yeah. And I built that over about 20 years into something that people would uh, pay for. So that, that was fun. Uh, and what was next? So uh, first half of 2013, I went to visit trusted friends and, and business people. I had a whole set of ideas and I was now vetting them out. And I would say somewhere around August, which is my birthday, Stefan, I, I concluded that I, 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 for the first many decades of my life. It was all about me. I told you about my medals. I told you about my my cycling medals. I told you about my military service and the medals I won there and the trophies and all this stuff, you know. And I ultimately decided that I was at an age, I was then like 56 or 7 or something, when I didn't want to do that anymore. 
I wanted to serve others in a much more indirect way. I didn't want to necessarily be the employer, be the trainer of a, of a leader or something. What I wanted to do is to live vicariously through other people's success. I wanted to be the coach in the stands hearing the athletes Star Spangled Banner playing. And I wanted to be just quietly cheering them, you know, in the sidelines. I wanted the limelight to be on somebody else. And so I hung out a shingle and I started to build out a business called Lions Pride. And uh, people asked me what it is. I had a couple of people checking it out yesterday on a conversation with me. And, and I said, well, I said, we're an accelerator. I said, we accelerate four things. We accelerate business, productivity, life, and yourself. And I say, we do it faster, easier, better, and smarter than you can probably do on your own. I said, there's no doubt that the people who are attracted me Stefan and back in 13 and 14 when I was starting and who I was attracted to, there's no doubt that they'll get success. There was no doubt in my past that I was going to get success. I'm built for that. And I, I yearn for it. So do the people that are attracted to this sort of program. The question is, could it be easier and faster? Is there a cost to going the slow way or the hard way? And I can tell you from personal experience, there's a huge cost. <laughs> Oh my gosh, all the money that I wasted all the time, all the heartache, you know, it was just crazy. So I, I curated all these resources. Some of them, you know, come from me. A lot of them come from other really, really smart people that I've either worked with or learned from, or I read their books or went to their courses or whatever. And then I literally serve it up on a silver platter to people who become uh, Lions Pride members. So uh, I think we build great resources, Stefan. I think we build a great community of people like you, real badass people. Uh, I had a couple on a call today and they, they're energized just to hang out with each other, right? So they said, hey, Bill, can you leave the video room open? We want to talk to each other. And so I, I left to join you and they keep talking because it's just a cool place to be. Where are you going to find that? And then I think the third thing we do, Stefan, is, you know, we all make promises. High performers always make promises. And sometimes we overpromise and underdeliver. And sometimes we do that to people we care about, people at home that love us, people like ourselves, the man, the man or the woman in the mirror, right? And I think what we bring uh, here is not just learn more stuff, not just make hollow promises, it's get stuff done and keep your promises. So it's not okay to be, you know, given a great business and then let it languish or let it grow slower than it should or to give a great spouse and, and neglect him or her or kids or stress out because you're busy, right? Life should be a hell of a lot of fun and a lot of impact and a lot of wealth. Wealth is a weapon. And so that's what we do uh, in, in the pride. And um, people like you uh, are drawn to it. You learn a little bit and you give a lot. And that's what makes the vibrancy of the community so powerful. And that's what makes the acceleration. See, that's what I say. I say, uh, we're not about growth here. That's for the people who love 10% better. We're about accelerating, you know, a, a Formula One off the start line or coming out of turn eight, going down to the checkered flag. It feels like that when you're in here. And that's not right for everybody, nor am I right for everybody. But for the right people who want to sit in the cockpit of a Formula One car and drive that kind of race, 
it's a hell of a place to be. And and I can say that you you give us the lessons on how to drive that Formula One car. Yep, in our Formula One car, there's there's me uh, and others. <clears throat> you know, there's there's people who've been in the program long enough that that they've got the rhythm down. I mean, they know how to drive, and so they can look at somebody new and they can go, "Hey, when I was you, meaning like new, this is what I did. This will make it a heck of a lot." Watkins, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's so far removed from doing this stuff. Listen to me and just kind of nod your head and make him feel good, right? But this is what you do. And so what I tell people, I told these guys yesterday, I said, this is not for the faint of heart. I said, don't come here and just sit around. Like, don't get in the cockpit in the garage of a Formula One. I know that's kind of exciting, you know. But for people like us, that's not what we want. We want to start the engine and push down on the throttle. And so if you're going to come, it's going to feel exhilarating. It's going to feel exciting. It's going to feel scary as hell. And it's going to feel hard as hell. But that's how we build greatness. That's how we build great profit, great revenue, great place for employees to work, great raving fan customers. See, otherwise it's mediocrity. And it would be inauthentic for you, Stefan, to do anything less then your optimal best for our community, for your employees, your wonderful employees, for your family, for your customers like me who benefit from your greatness. And so I, I, I think it's just an obligation that we have. And I can tell you, I've put into effect a lot of the systems, many of the systems mm-hmm. that, you, that you have outlined and, and put into a framework. And yeah. it really does work. And yeah. you described it so well. It mm. is exhilarating, but it is scary, and it goes fast. But mm. You catch on, and when mm-hmm. it starts really moving, that momentum turning, as Jim Collins says, the flywheel, when that starts spinning, yep. then you can really see it, and we're spinning that flywheel in so many areas. It's fantastic. So how can people find out if the Lion's Pride is a right match for them and they are a right match for the Lion's Pride? Hmm. Well, there's a couple of ways. Talk to people like you. <laughs> There's, you know, I mean, that's the best way. People always want to talk to me because I'm the founder, but I'm like, yeah, but go talk to the people that are the actual members. I mean, go talk to the shoppers of your your uh, your your wine club or or your your uh, or your liquor store, uh, Stefan. You know, rather than you know than what you say the experience should be. I just get to talk to the people that are your customers. And they tell me, and uh, I get to experience it myself. So, yeah, you can talk to uh, members. That's a great way. There's uh, a bunch of them in the Teton region on both sides of the valley for those who are listening to this podcast uh, locally in Jackson. And then, of course, on our uh, website, we have a wealth of information, including real stories from real people like you, Stefan. And uh, you can listen to those. And then you can check out a bunch of the free resources. You can sign up for the my acceleration newsletter, which comes out every Friday. You can that's a lightweight version of me. You know, uh, I'm a pretty much in your face kind of guy. And for some people, that's way too much bill. But uh, the newsletter is like a 30 second read, maybe uh, once a week. That might be enough. And then you know, if uh, people are intrigued, they're still engaged, then of course they can always grab a call uh, on the website and talk to me. So what is the name of your website, Bill? 
It's the lions, L I O N S pride, P R I D E.com. The lions pride.com. And uh, that'll take you straight to the upfront and real in your face, personal of uh, what we do. If people want to connect with you, what is the best mm, please. for them to connect to you? Best way is uh, write me an email. Uh, my personal email is uh, B is in Bravo, B Watkins, W-A-T-K-I-N-S, B Watkins at thelionspride.com. And um, I've got two, virt- two assistants that are always in my inbox and I can't uh, always, you know, attend to something really fast, but they will. If it's a question that they can't answer, I'll answer it. If they can't answer it, they'll get you an answer zippy fast. And if you ever want to talk, be happy to. Spectacular. Yeah. Bro. Before we wrap this up, if you want to leave folks with one or two books that they could read that would help them grasp the concepts of what you're talking about, what would you people could read? Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you three books. Okay. Stefan. Deal. On a business book basis, Vern Harnish, we've, uh, he wrote Rockefeller Habits, then he wrote Rockefeller Habits 2.0, and then he upgraded it to Scaling Up, S-C-A-L-I-N-G, Up. Vern is an amazingly talented uh, person who has built an amazing consulting uh, and coaching company uh, for mid-market uh, fast growth companies. And uh, that book is a playbook uh, that I uh, use myself and that I recommend. So many of the tools even that I share with people uh, are original works and you know copyright materials from Vern. So highly recommend that book. Second, uh, Greg McKeon. M-C-K-E-O-W-N. Greg McKeon and I are in Genius Network, Joe Polish's mastermind group. Greg wrote a book a few years ago called Essentialism. I think this is one of the pivotal reads that I recommend to uh, members in their first month of uh, membership. It's a pivotal book on on how to build your life. It's not a woo-woo book. It's an actionable book that intellectually you will get, but unfortunately you're not doing in your life but need to. And then the last book uh, is, a, is a beautiful book, um, and it's called uh, The Dash. And The Dash was originally a, a poem uh, and um, um, uh, written by Linda Ellis, E-L-L-I-S. There's a couple of different versions of The Dash, but I think it's uh, 100 words. Oh, oh, oh. But- it's an easy that book will change your life. It is. Yes. It'll change your life. It'll change. You will personally write me a thank you note uh, when you read the dash and you will thank Linda for being inspired to write her poem and then seeing it turned into a book and that I, you happen to listen to this podcast and I recommended it to you and you'll get what the dash is uh, in the first couple of pages of the book. So those three books, one's a business book, one's a great life book, and one's a, a change your life uh, book. I, I appreciate it. And to let people know, I have read all three of those books and uh, The Dash is absolutely moving. I gave it to my wife to read as well and she very much enjoyed it. I look at Vern Harnish's Rockefeller Habits 2.0 scaling up regularly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, there, It yeah. doesn't go very often within a month that I have not gone back to reference with some of the, some of the information in there totally you know and and what i emphasize to people is 
any of the books that I recommend are, are not for what, what I call academic pursuit. You know, there's people in academia that read a ton of books and they know a ton of things. And there's nothing wrong with academia. I, I'm connected with academia all the time. But what I am is the guy who takes academia and then makes it into something that we do something that we use. I don't want to be really smart. I want to be really smart and then apply my smarts. And so between the dash, essentialism, and scaling up, I've seen you over what, two years, two and a half years, three years maybe, Stefan, you've literally moved the needles of multiple places in your life because you've not only read these things and gone, oh, that was nice. You did something with it. And that's the important thing I would encourage your readers to do is to uh, take those three books and then apply them. Thank you. And, and life is all about doing because mm-hmm. you read stuff all day long. And oh, yeah. The, anybody, but until an individual is ready to take action on their own, mm-hmm. be in that driver's seat, nothing's going to change. It'll always be. Mm-hmm. I mean, something could change. You just don't have control over it. So it's better to have control over it. Yeah. And be ready for the things that you don't have control over. Uh, You know, have tools and mindset and processes in place. So when the inevitable happens, and it always does, you know, it could be as as simple as, you know, your your child isn't doing well in school, or it could be as traumatic as brain cancer, but, or, 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 or the death of a loved one. But regardless, you'll be more resilient because you've done things and you're prepared to do things. And so uh, I agree with you, Stefan, just getting smarter. That's a beautiful thing. And there's a lot of smart people in the world, but I'm the guy who says, let's get smarter and let's apply our smarts to building a better life, more impactful, uh, wealthier, happier, all of that. Terrific. Bill, this time with you, this Mm. has been very special. I appreciate you taking the Mm -hmm. time out of your day and Mm. To let the listeners know, you'll find out on Bill's website that there's a live event coming up. Is that Mm -hmm. Bill? I think we have two spots left. We take 15, you know, CEOs, founders, and entrepreneurs, small business owners. Uh, I I have a a property in Jackson. Then I also have a property over the hill in uh, Victor, Idaho. And so we invite them out there for a three and a half day experience of, um, uh, what would you call that, Stefan? Uh, working on your life and your business, uh, not not in the weeds of it, but um, great energy, great people. We get out in the mountains or on the ski slopes, and uh, we have great culinary experiences. And I I don't think I've ever had anybody tell me it was not an absolute game changing experience. But you've been there. It's better that you explain. I, I have. I've been there several times, and again, I'll be going um, in in a few weeks in April. And mm-hmm. it is an opportunity to be around highly driven, motivated people who are great thinkers and they get you thinking, they get me thinking mm. where my business is going, how I can make adjustments to my business, but also how I can be a great father and a fantastic husband and mm. being um, a productive friend to people, a helpful friend. So thank you for mm. you. And Mm -hmm. I hope, uh, I'm sure the listeners have gotten some little nuggets out of Mm -hmm. life and inspiration from you because Mm -hmm. when I talk to you, I'm very much inspired. Ah, Cool. All right.
Well, enjoy your day, well, Bill. Thank you, Stefan. It's a, as I said uh, in the first couple of minutes, what a privilege it is to, to connect with you again, seeing you do uh, what you love and what you're really, really good at, and um, bringing those gifts uh, to our community, whether that's, I don't know, the reach of your podcast, but uh, for those of you who are listening, you're, you're seeing a maestro, and um, I'm happy to be, uh, be part of that, Stefan. So I appreciate your commitment to... Uh, delivering your gifts to us. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. It's good to see you, Bill. You bet. Jackson Hole Marketplace, the small shop with a huge personality. Located at 4115 South Highway 89, Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Or you can visit us online at jacksonholemarketplace.com. Jackson Hole Marketplace is the best little corner store not on a corner. Stop in for fresh hot breakfast and lunch made daily. Or if you're in a super hurry, There's plenty of other fast-to-grab-and-go items. Fuel the kid or a kid inside of you with ice cream, candy, snacks, and beverages. Like to enjoy the adult side of life? We have a fully stocked bottle shop with wines from around the globe, spirits to treat every taste bud, and really cold beer. We love treating our customers like family, so stop in and visit the team at Jackson Hole Marketplace. One more episode is complete, and I say farewell until next time. You rock for tuning in each week and sharing this podcast with your friends. Listeners such as yourself, keep me driven to continue searching out new guests to interview. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you would like to be a guest or know of someone connected to Jackson Hole whom I should interview, send me a note via email, connect at the jacksonholeconnection.com or you can connect with us via Facebook page, facebook.com slash jacksonholeconnection. Please subscribe, rate, and review the Jackson Hole Connection on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Five stars, of course, because I really like five stars. The Jackson Hole Connection is all about sharing, caring stories of worldly, wildly folks with a desire to share the fun side of life. This is Stefan Abrams, and I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this podcast. Thank you to my wife for her support. Thank you to Michael Morey for editing and directing me. Thank you to Luke Taylor for the rad music. And thank you to Tana Hoffman for spreading the word each week. Y'all come back again now, you hear?